This message by Tony Carter was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Tony serves as the lead pastor for East Point Church in Georgia. Well, this morning I have the pleasure of sharing with you a word um, from the prophecy of Jonah. Um, pastor Bill has asked me to speak on Jonah this morning. I, I love speaking on Jonah. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, prophecy. It's very short. But it is full, full of content, gospel content. Um, it is full of Christ and, and all that we are in him and all that he is for us. It is just four little short chapters, but they are so full of meaning. I mean, they, I like to think of Jonah as the, uh, the whole story of redemption in microcosm. It is, it is just a powerful, short account of who God is and what God has done and is doing in the lives of his people and even in the world. I commend it to you, strongly commend it to you, and not just to read it as a nighttime story, but actually to meditate upon it and to reflect upon it, pray through it, and see that you don't see uh, the wonders of the character, the attributes, and the glories of Christ throughout it. Amen? If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Jonah, if you haven't already, um, I'm going to look at just a few verses, chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, and then chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 3. So that's Jonah, chapter 2, verse 10, and uh, chapter 3, 1 through 3. The Word of God reads as follows. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask once again this morning, as you have been attentive to our worship, that you would be attentive to our prayers and that our prayers would find a pleasing hearing this morning in your presence as we ask you to come and minister your word to us afresh. We pray your spirit would come and open our eyes and open our minds and open our hearts that we would see and trust and receive Christ again this morning. That he would be a new Christ, a glorious Christ, as we meditate upon your word. Be glorified. Be magnified. Be exalted in this place, in every heart and mind. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. The history of religion in the world, indeed the record of human religion, is a record of men and women seeking God. 
This is essentially the nature of religion throughout history in the world. It's humanity seeking to find and seeking to define God. And when you read the Bible, however, the Bible is not a record of humanity seeking God. The Bible, on the other hand, is the record of God seeking humanity. True religion, beloved, and that is biblical Christianity, is not us seeking God, but rather it is God seeking us, God seeking the wanderers. And this is a testimony throughout, throughout the scriptures, unlike any of the world religions that you will find. Consider all the invitations in the Bible. Now, I know it's commonplace for us when we, you know, want to talk and do outreach and talk to people about Jesus. We tell them, you need to invite Jesus into your life. You need to invite Jesus into your heart. And, and I understand uh, uh, what we're trying to communicate in that. But biblically speaking, beloved, the Bible invitations generally are not us inviting God, but they are God inviting us. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, God says, come, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wood. God says, come. In Isaiah 55 and, and verse 1, again, God says, come, come. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, come buy wine with, and milk without money and without price. Again, it is the Lord who is inviting. He is saying, come, come, come. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, we hear the words of Jesus where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come. Revelation 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride, what do they say? Come, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. God says, come. Over and over and over again, the testimony of the scriptures is consistent, beloved. Men and women run from God. It is God who pursues humanity and mercy and in grace. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said in his book, The Pursuit of God, that we pursue God on our part only because God has first pursued us. It is God who says, come. In fact, this morning, I want to sum up for you the very purpose of Jesus coming into the world. In fact, I don't want to sum it up for you. I want the Lord himself to sum it up for you. Why did Jesus come into the world? In Luke 
chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. That's why he came. Jesus seeks. Jesus saves. That, beloved, is the gospel. That is the message that we proclaim. That is the message we share with the world. Jesus, the Savior, seeking to save lost sinners. That's why he came. That's why we're here this morning. This is a gospel message from Genesis to Revelation. This is the gospel we find rehearsed in Jonah this morning. Jonah is the message of the gospel in a miniature. It is a, an excellent snapshot of God seeking sinners to save them. It's the story of the Bible. Someone recently asked me, what is the overarching story of the Bible and why do I say that it is encapsulated in the short prophecy of Jonah? Well, beloved, the, the overarching story of the Bible is this. A great God who saves great sinners from great judgment by a greater grace through a great Savior. Did you get that? This is what the Bible is about. A great God who saves great sinners from great judgment by great grace through a great Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the message of the Scriptures. That is the message we see communicated and illustrated in the prophecy of Jonah. In fact, Jonah is just another chapter in the outworking of the grand drama that we call redemption. Redemption. That's what we want to talk about this morning in, in Jonah. What does Jonah then contribute to that drama of redemption? What does Jonah teach us about that great drama that is called redemption? What contribution does Jonah make to our understanding of redemption? Jonah is a story of redemption. It defines redemption. It illustrates redemption, and it corroborates God's message and method of redemption. By the time we get to chapter 3, Jonah has been all John Newton on us, right? He had been lost and now found. He had been blind, and now by chapter 3, he sees. He had been dead, and by chapter 3, he is now alive. He had been in bondage, and by chapter 3, he has been set free. That's the first thing I want to share with you this morning. He had been in bondage, but he had been set free because that's what redemption is, beloved. 
Redemption is freedom. Redemption is freedom. Notice what it says in verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Now, I like to think of Jonah. I like to think of, of Jonah as having been lost. When he, was, when he was dumped into the sea, I like to think of Jonah. Jonah having been lost. In fact, Jonah having been dying. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm seeing that he's lost at the bottom of the sea, that he's dying in the belly of the fish. At the bottom in the belly. Because this is the place where sin takes humanity. Right? Sin takes humanity to the bottom in the belly of the beast. Lost and dying. Everyone who saw Jonah go over that boat figured Jonah was dead. When Jonah got swallowed up by the fish, Jonah figured he was dead. I like to think him lost. And dying at the bottom in the belly of the beast at the bottom of the pit. And both of these then, both of these pictures should remind us of what it means to be in bondage to sin. Or as Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us, right? Dead. Dead in our sins and trespasses. And in order to be saved, beloved, in order for a person to be saved, a person has to be set free from bondage to sin. And redemption, this is what redemption is. Redemption is God setting sinners free. This is what he said to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 15 and 15. As he, as he brought them out of bondage in Egypt, he said, I, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. He redeemed you. He set you free from bondage in Egypt, from slavery to sin. He set you free. Jonah was set free from the bondage of his rebellion and disobedience. And as with Israel and Jonah, this is what God does. God pursues us in order to set us free. God pursues men and women in order to free them from bondage. This is the message we proclaim. There is freedom in Christ. There is freedom from bondage to sin. There is freedom from the bondage of guilt and shame. 
God comes to set us free. This is what the whole chapter in Romans chapter 6, this is all Romans 6 is all about. It's all about God setting his people free. In, in verse 17, those who were slaves to sin and disobedience have been set free. It's the point. In Christ, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, because in Christ we have been set free. Jonah was freed. Jonah was freed from bondage of the fish. Jonah was freed from the death of the sea. Jonah was freed from the condemnation of his sins. And it reminds us, it paints a vivid picture for us that in Christ, all are set Free. And you know what the Bible says in John chapter 3, I mean chapter 8 and verse 36? And those whom the Son set free, they are really free. They are free indeed. That's what the songwriter says, right? Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound to sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon aflame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. why God pursues us. You realize that? That's why God pursues. God pursues to set us free. That's why you need God to pursue you. You want God to pursue you because he pursues us for our good, contrary to what you may believe. Beloved, listen to me. God is not after you to harm you. Contrary to what you might have told yourself, what you may be thinking or what you may have heard, when God comes after you, he comes after you for your good. He sent Christ into the world, not to condemn the world. But the Bible says he came to seek and to save the lost. If you in any way sense that God is after you or on your trail, praise God. He is after you for your good. He wants to set you free. God means you're good. Before I was married, I pursued my wife because I was convinced that I needed her. I did that for me. God pursues us not because we need him, not because he needs us, 
but rather but because we need him. He pursues you for your good. We need him to set us free. And there is no freedom apart from Jesus Christ. Jonah was set free. That's what redemption is. Redemption is freedom. Do you know what else redemption is? Redemption is reconciliation. Redemption is reconciliation. Notice what it says in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. It came to Jonah the second time. Redemption, beloved, is God coming to disobedient, rebellious sinners and making things right. That's redemption. And in a word, that is reconciliation. God comes to Jonah to reconcile with Jonah, and he reconciles with Jonah by giving Jonah a second chance. This is reconciliation. Now, beloved, there are many wonderful theological terms that come to us in the Bible that describe salvation. But there may not be any word that is more descriptive of what it means for us to be saved and redeemed than the word reconciliation or reconcile. Because reconciliation speaks to relationship. It speaks to the ability to be in intimate relationship with another. And when God redeems someone, God enters into relationship with him. But the only way that can happen is if there's some reconciliation that has occurred. Things have to be reconciled. These have to be worked out. Reconciliation is mending what is broken. Reconciliation is healing what is sick. Reconciliation is making right what is wrong. There's an illustration of this all around us today. It's all, it's all around us, it's all around us. You know, there's a lot of talk of reconciliation in our day. A lot of it. And this is particularly true when it comes to the issue of racial reconciliation and issues in our country. And the reason that is, beloved, is because for far too long, our country's racial relations have been broken. Broken, our race relations in 
have been sick. And this is due to the fact that the way that our country has treated its darker citizens and how wrong that treatment has been through the years. And racial reconciliation is mending that brokenness. Racial reconciliation is healing that sickness. Racial reconciliation is righting the wrongs of racism. And if you believe in the gospel, you believe in racial reconciliation because you believe in reconciliation. And if we can be reconciled to God, we can be reconciled to each other. In fact, that's what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. God was in Christ reconciling himself to us and has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the gospel. This is what makes the gospel different and so powerful. We have the message of peace. We have the message of reconciliation because we are those who have been reconciled to God. And beloved, if God can reconcile you to himself, you can reconcile yourself with anyone. This is the example that we have in the gospel of Christ. Reconciliation is that aspect of the gospel where God says that which separates doesn't separate us anymore. That which alienated doesn't alienate us anymore. In other words, the sin that caused division and made us enemies doesn't divide us anymore. And Christ has come and did away with the enmity. Jonah and God are not at odds anymore. And it wasn't Jonah's doing. God came, pursued him. And reconciled. In other words, gave him another chance. That's what God does. That's what God does. God makes it right, and therefore it gives us another chance. That's what, that's, that's what it means. Giving relationship with God another chance. Beloved, second chances are amazing. They are amazing, and they are totally the grace of God. The reason, beloved, the reason why we don't see or believe second chances as a testament and a monument to God's grace is because we live in a country where we think second chances are deserved. 
is written in our documents. Life, liberty, and second chances. Because everybody deserves it. That's the first thing you hear whenever somebody falls, whenever somebody messes up. It's a, oh, you know, he deserves, or she deserves a second chance. Is that right? Second chances are not guaranteed. Ask Lot's wife. Ask other. Ask Ananias, did he get a second chance? Second chances are not deserved, but they are the mercy and the grace and the magnitude of the kindness of God. They are undeserved. They are undeserved. God did not owe Jonah another chance. When he rebelled and disobeyed and was thrown into the sea and was consumed by the fish, God could have left him there and he would have been totally just, totally God, and totally right. God gave Jonah a second chance because God is a merciful God. He gave Jonah a do-over. He gave him a do-over. You know, somebody has said that being a grandparent is the ultimate do-over. Bad parents often become good grandparents. I can testify to that. However, beloved, grandparenting is not the ultimate do-over. The ultimate do-over is redemption. The ultimate do-over is salvation. The ultimate do-over is being reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. You don't earn God's second chances. God is kind. God is gracious. God is merciful. And second chances are a demonstration of the wideness of his mercy and the magnitude of his grace. And this is why. This is why, beloved, to my amazement, and should be to all of our amazement, that God loves do-overs. He loves do-overs because they make much of his grace. He loves do-overs because they exalt his love. Listen, listen to me this morning. There is an amazing truth in Scripture that I would hope that you would understand this morning, and that is you cannot out the grace of God. Can't do it. Why? Because the Bible reminds us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 that wherever sin increase, grace increase all the more. Wherever sin abounds, grace abounds. In other words, you can't out-sin God's grace. You can't outrun His mercy. If you are here this morning, the Lord has given you another chance. That's the point. 
You have another chance. I don't care. I don't care where you were last night. You got another chance. I don't care what you did. If you're here this morning, the Lord has given you another chance. I don't care how long you have been away. If you are here this morning, the Lord has given you another chance. And his grace and his mercy abounds this morning to you. Christ is here this morning. And he is not here to condemn you. He is here to redeem you. He's here to show you his mercy. He's here to forgive you. He's here to reconcile with you. He is here to restore you and to forgive you. How can God do this? Because again, the reason he can do this is because what he tells us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling us to himself by not counting our sins against us. That's how he can do it. That's how he can do it. Because if you're here this morning, the Lord wants me to tell you that the Lord is not counting your sins against you. That's how you can have another chance. That's how you can come to him. That's how you can receive the invitation and come. Because when you come, because of Christ, the Lord will not count your sins against you. What sins? All of them. No matter, no matter, no matter. You come, you come. And whatever sin it is, the Lord doesn't count it against you because of Christ. You just come. You just come. This is the point, beloved. This is the point. Our sins no longer keep us from God. Psalm 32, verse 2. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. He was in Christ. Reconciling us to himself by not counting our sins against us. The reason Jonah had another chance is because God was gracious and didn't count his sin against him. So undeserved. And the reason you and I have another chance or, beloved, anyone has any chance at all it is because of Psalm 103 and verse 10. God does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. God didn't deal with Jonah like his sin deserved. And he doesn't deal with us either. But he wants to give you another chance. It is undeserving. But it's not only undeserving, it's also important to remember that it is unchanging. Okay, it is unchanging. 
This is amazing. No, it says in verse 2 of chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. What does God say? Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The word that came to Jonah the second time is exactly the same word that came to Jonah the first time. God said, Jonah, I had changed. I had changed. I'm still the same. When you come back to me and you get another chance, guess what? God is still the same. He hadn't changed. He hadn't changed. It's exactly the same words you see that came to Jonah in chapter 1 and verse 2 comes to him again in chapter 3, verse 2. God does not change. His word did not change. Jonah changed. That is so important. That is so important to understand, beloved. God's word didn't change. It was Jonah who changed. If, if Jonah was counting, if, he was, if Jonah was thinking, okay, I got another chance. And if he's thinking because he's got another chance, and therefore God is going to give him a different word, he was much confused. No, no, no. He was sorely mistaken. The Word of God is the same the second time around as it was the first time. It doesn't change. You do understand, beloved, if, if marrying an unbeliever is wrong today, marrying an unbeliever is going to be wrong tomorrow. Because the Word of God doesn't change. You do, you do understand that if children are to obey their parents today, and the Bible says they need to be obeying their parents tomorrow because the Word of God doesn't change. If salvation is by grace through faith alone today, then salvation is by grace and faith alone tomorrow because the Word of God does not change. The grass withers, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. It is not the word that changed. It was Jonah that changed. Jonah changed. The first time, Jonah rose and fled. The second time, Jonah rose and followed. Because that is the fruit of the gospel. The gospel that is unmoved and unchanged. Listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me carefully. In every church this morning, there are only one of two things that are happening. Either the gospel is changing people or people are changing the gospel. That's it. That's it. Every church this morning, there's only one of two things that are happening. Either the gospel changes people or people are busy changing the gospel. The gospel that was preached in times past is the same gospel that changes people today. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. 
Jonah teaches us this truth, that God is unchanging. The gospel that saved Peter, John, and Paul is the same gospel we seek to proclaim today. The same Jesus that died on the cross for my mother's sin is the same Jesus who died on the cross to cover mine. Jesus is the same, the Bible says, in Hebrews 13. The same, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. That's why we celebrate him. That's why we worship him. That's why we proclaim him. That's why we share him. He doesn't change. He is the same. We are not talking about a fad. We are not talking about something that's here today and gone tomorrow. We are talking about the eternal truth that God seeks lost sinners to save them. And in that salvation and in that, and in that redemption, our Lord Jesus Christ has been and still is undefeated. Undefeated. And I, I, and I think y'all need to hear that this morning. I know, I know some of you really need to hear it this morning uh, because yesterday was not a good day. Okay, I understand. That was a huge L to take. <laughs> for the volunteers. But I want you to know something this morning. UT may have lost, but your Lord is undefeated. He is undefeated this morning. And that is important to understand because not only the UT lost, but you know the best teams lose. The best teams lose, beloved, in 2007. The New England Patriots of the National Football League, they won 18 games. They went 18-0. and 0. And you know what? They lost the Super Bowl. In 2015, the Golden State Warriors of the NBA, they won 73 games out of 82 and they lost the championship. In 2001, the Seattle Mariners set the record in Major League Baseball for wins. They won 116 games. And you know what? They didn't win the World Series. Because there is only one guaranteed victory in life, beloved, and that is the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. The Lord is still undefeated. He hadn't lost. He didn't lose to sin. He didn't lose to death. He didn't lose to the grave. He didn't lose to the devil. He doesn't lose. He is still undefeated. He's undefeated against shame. He's undefeated against your guilt. He's undefeated against your condemnation. He is, someone said, a doctor who has never lost a patient and a lawyer who has never lost a case. And this is why we preach him. This is why we proclaim him. This is why we share him. This is why we trust him. This is why we are redeemed. And the Bible says, let the redeemed say so. Tell the world, tell it. Tell it everywhere I go. Tell the world, tell it. I'm a billboard. 
Tell the world, tell it broadcasting like a radio. Tell the world you ought to know, in Christ Jesus, I'm brand new. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Because the Lord redeems his people and he sets them free. And then says, like he told Jonah, now you go and you tell them that I'm undefeated. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so moved by the magnitude of your grace, by the the wideness of your mercy, the depths of your love. Lord, you cover us, you blanket us. We thank you that you have come in Christ Jesus to reconcile us to yourself and has given us this wonderful ministry of reconciliation whereby now we go and tell others that we have been set free and Christ desires to set all those free who come unto him by faith. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for never failing. Thank you for never losing. Thank you for the victories that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray and ask and for his sake. Amen.